My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. What happened to me? Did I lose my talent? Am I ever going to be good again? Well, I am happy with the cast that I've chosen. I never was omniscient. Ladies and gents, this is as real as it gets on Never Was. A breaking story. I never did know it all. Everyone, please keep it together. Don't freak out. That's right. In a surprise to no one at all, it has been confirmed I don't know everything. I don't even know what's going to happen next. What good is that? What good am I? So look, I'm going to set this up briefly as possible. But before I talk about tonight's show, I need to talk about last week's show. Or else, none of this is going to make any sense. Speaking of which, if you haven't heard last week's show, you really should listen to it first. Then jump on back in here, okay? Go ahead. We'll wait. Three, two, one, and we're back. Okay. Please understand. I don't want to do this. (laughs) What I'm about to do, this, I don't want to do this. I got other shows I want to put out, but this has to happen. This has to happen. You know, I don't want to do it, but but I only think I don't want to do it. As soon as I realize the cool stuff we ended up talking about here, then I get the energy to push on and I'm I'm crushing it. And then I start thinking about how I don't want to do this again. And the cycle continues. In its finished state, this show's right around an hour, probably. Uh, but just know in real time, days. Took days. So, to last week, you know, the show that was on the website for a day, then was gone, vanished without a trace. That one. What? Why? Where? How? I understand your concern. And these are all valid concerns. Which I will answer right now. Let's go. You see, I needed to take last week's show off. I had to take it off because it felt like the right thing to do. Okay, It has now, as you can see, returned in its original form, in the same form in which it was clumsily introduced. We didn't edit it out or try to make me seem like less of a jerk. This is why. I love everybody. Okay, Even people I don't agree with. Even people who hate me. Even people who think I'm a jackass or not very good at what I do. Love them. Love them all. Love them all. Let God sort them out, as my buddy Marco from American Dance Party would say. I love everybody and don't want to hurt anyone. And I felt like leaving the show up to just hang out there for a week with no response was going to maybe hurt some people. So I figured I'd pull it back and then drop it again so that if anyone was starting to freak out or get upset, They just knew that there was an answer waiting for them right after. And here we are. You see, last week's show was a big step for me, attempting to establish our conversation, yours and mine, as the consistent element, you know, with me attempting to sort of set the table and get some real talk going. I was focused on the show, and maybe just only focused on the show. (laughs) So I have to say, real talk certainly began. <laughs> Yikes. A kind of conversation was had. 
sort of like if I were to set myself on fire and walk into your bizarre winter jam festival or whatever, there would definitely be a certain kind of conversation. So what am I on about? Well, if you listen to last week's show, as per my instruction, it shouldn't be too tricky to figure it out. We could call it Star Wars, The Stress Awakens. I went and saw Star Wars with my friends, Eric and Josh, and we sat next to a family whose child was autistic. And of course, all sorts of mayhem ensued. Now, the night it came out, among other replies, I received a link to a story from my buddy, Alex Roschetti, regarding an understudy by the name of Kelvin Moon Lowe. That's K-E-L-V-I-N. Moon, as in the moon in the sky. Lowe, L-O-H. Kelvin wrote an open letter to the theater community after a recent performance of The King and I, where an autistic child had a really rough night. But where also, and this is key, things got exponentially rougher for said child's parent. I'll leave the link to the article in the show notes, but one quote I think stands out. When did we, as theater people, performers, and audience members, become so concerned with our own experience that we lost compassion for others. See, people got pretty mean, said some mean stuff, and it was hard for him to watch. Now look, this is the thing. I still think Josh and I behaved as well as could reasonably be expected. We weren't booing or hissing or doing anything weird like that. And in, in, in a situation where we didn't have all the information, I think, I think we did okay. I think Eric in particular felt really sick about the whole thing, even though his, his, his interaction with the parent was borderline saintly in its demeanor, okay? But as for me, considering the experiences I've had in theaters, uh, I mean, anyone who's gone with me knows it's like I'm a magnet, man. Um, but I think I did okay. And, and, you know, I go back and forth with that. I have to remind myself that that day, that moment, I really didn't know what better was. However, and still further, this is the key, away from the theater, in the privacy of my home, free to reflect upon this experience, okay isn't enough. I missed something, plain and simple. I missed an opportunity. Wait, what? Where did this come from? Well, as you'll no doubt hear in the conversations that follow, that story about the king and I, Something stuck in there, you know, in the back of my mind, like a grenade, (laughs) a grenade that says, wait, what on it? Like the pin was pulled and upon waking the next morning, lightning struck in my tiny, slow-witted brain. Basically, I woke up and the names Christopher Foley and Jessica Fife were in my head and my heart started pounding. In the show that follows, you'll fully understand, but just so we're on the same page, Jessica's brother's autistic and Chris's oldest son is as well. I knew that instant that I needed to pull the show because if I hurt either of them, that would grieve me beyond explanation. And if I hurt them and they know me, what did I do to people who don't know me? You know, people who who I won't be able to talk to later. People who can't say, oh, I know Mark, he must have meant, you know what I'm saying? If I hurt them, I I have to at least try to make amends. So we pulled the show and here we are. So what are we doing today? Is this a never was or a podcast or fee? 
doesn't matter. It's a conversation and it is definitely ongoing. Good news. My friends, the ones in my head that morning, have joined us. How do you like that? I'd like you to meet Jessica Fife, artist, teacher, eater of red vines, and all-around badass lady. And returning to the show, thank God, musician, orthodox priest, and all-around awesome brother, Christopher Foley. We also have our most esteemed guest, you. That's right. Enjoy. Oh, P.S., this just in. Stay tuned throughout the entire show. There's a little bonus on the end there. A surprise visit from one of our former guests who sent me a taped response. And if you're driving while listening to this show, I advise at that point to maybe pull over or just really, really focus, okay? Because <laughs> when I heard it, I fell out so hard that I scared my dog. So yeah, stick around. But first... Let's not mess with me today, okay? What the hell kind of clown are you? The crying on the inside kind, I guess. Do you know what film that came from? Do you? Well, you should. I really do believe that. Tell you something else, Stavesacre believes that too. Also, so does Bill Murray. See, the possibility you don't know what film that quote came from, and further, the possibility that I might be able to be the one to add to your discovery by pointing you in its direction. That is why my brand new custom pen and ink piece from Bump Galetta rules. Let me set it up. You come over. We have our awkward first 15 minutes of silence in a total stranger's house while you check out all my stuff thing, you know? Then you ask, hey, what's the clown with the gun all about? And I get to talk about my favorite, slightly obscure film and share my excellent taste in cinematic masterpieces of sarcasm with you. Maybe over a glass of wine or some other delicious adult beverage. This is how it worked. I told Bump about this scene. He determined that his style would, in fact, work to illustrate it. He watched it and created an original illustration of this scene in its own minimalist and, what did we say last week? whimsical style and boom there it is hanging on my wall just waiting to be expounded upon so head on over to bumpgaletta.com that's two l's and two t's and send him something hey bump i love this scene in breaking two electric boogaloo that's never been made into a poster could you la 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 voila lovely frameable pen and ink custom piece on its way to your humble abode hit him up If he thinks his style will fit what you want, you're good to go. So again, check it out, bumpgaletta.com. Custom, live by a human being. Get you some. Last warning. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, you're going to have no idea what anyone's talking about. Okay? All right. For those who have, we carry on. Hey, look here. A letter from our old buddy Ben Knight, titled Mark Wars, The Eric Awakens. See, it's not just me. Hey, Mark. Thought I would throw my nonsense, er, I mean my two cents, in about your matinee experience. 
I worked with mentally handicapped adults and children for about six years. Whenever we would take them out on outings, whether it was church, a movie, or to a restaurant, we always made sure to sit in an area that was easily accessible to exits and as far away from other patrons as possible. This was to make sure if someone had an episode, we could quietly leave and diffuse the situation privately. Keeping ourselves a little more separated also gave them more privacy from children or adults who might think it's funny to say something disparaging about them. Aside from that, we wanted to make sure that we weren't disturbing those around us. We wanted them to enjoy their outings, but at the same time, we did our best to make sure that our outing didn't disturb anyone else. I've also known many parents of handicapped children. Most of them have been phenomenal and part of many organizations to help not only their own children, but others as well. There are others, however, that have been the opposite. Very surly and full of vinegar because they have a handicapped child and they feel the world owes them. Your unfortunate encounter is one I have seen and experienced. It could be that the man was just fried and really wanted to unplug from his life for a couple hours. His version of doing so was Star Wars. I've known parents who don't mean to be abrupt, but when it comes to their special needs children, they have zero tolerance for anyone saying anything. Or it could be he's an enormous douche. <laughs> Hopefully not the latter. I've heard John C. McGinley, Scrubs, Platoon, talk about his son, Max, who has Down syndrome and is awesome to hear the love he has for him. He's been involved with National Down Syndrome Society and the Global Down Syndrome Foundation. Not to pimp another podcast, but his interview with Jay Moore on More Stories is great. As far as the scooter person goes, douche to the bag. Nothing but love for your rainbow, Ben. So listen, that's a pretty common theme. I mean, I, you'll hear it in some of these other letters. I read it in some of the letters that didn't get read on the show. I heard it in conversations I had with people outside of the show. Because like I said, this was messing with me, man. Um, I know of parents who have adopted children with special needs or who've had children with special needs and every one of them that I know is wonderful. Uh, that's partially my problem. I mean, I'm not trying to make an excuse for what I'll get into later, but I have to say the guy's behavior was so odd to me that it didn't give me at least the help that my stubborn ass needs to be more empathetic, you know, the, the, the constant grabbing of the little boy's arm was what really kind of pushed me. It's like, what, what is that? I'm pretty sure grab and shake. I don't know. It doesn't sound like therapy to me, but boy, do I know I'm not the parent. Maybe that is the only way he can get through with his child. I don't know, but it made me uncomfortable. And it definitely set the tone for when he snapped at us for me to be like, this dude's a dick. But again, I don't know the whole story. That's really the story. Uh, continuing on. This is good. This is an anonymous letter, and I can understand why it was anonymous because this person is involved in children's ministry, doesn't want his name out there because there is definitely a stigma about saying anything about this ever. But why not have it here? I mean, I'm already hated. <laughs> what more damage is going to get done? No, seriously, I think this is a good conversation. It's a good, healthy talk. It's not just about autism. It's about how to behave around each other. So yeah, here we go. Mark, yeah, that's a Pandora's box. 
I debated even wading in because I feel guilty sometimes for even struggling with this. And in my position, I wouldn't want anyone to think I didn't care for these kids. I, truthfully, was having a similar conversation with my wife Wednesday night about this. I work in children's ministry, uh, in children's ministry, and it seems that we are seeing more and more kids on the autism spectrum or a variety of other needs in our weekly events. I first want to establish that the majority of my experiences with kids with special needs is amazing. Usually no issues as parents will help us with understanding the specific needs to each child. I'm finding out how unique each kid really is. So we can best serve them and we have a special needs ministry that trains and provides individual support for the kids. Now see, that's freaking cool, man. That is awesome. That's church, right? Got special needs kids? Let's do something that focuses on that and on helping. Okay, I'm sure a lot of churches have that. Uh, I don't know. But man, there are parents who are just who just bring the kid, drop them off, and mention on the way out the door, oh yeah, they're on the autism spectrum. Or for a child we know has those needs, yeah, they had a bad day at school, so there might be some issues. It's almost like, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I could see that being somewhat terrifying. Wow. Uh, we may be understaffed or not prepared to handle the needs, so inevitably, inevitably there's chaos. And sometimes, though rarely, it's led to other kids getting hurt. Then, if you approach them for some understanding or address the concerns of how to best serve them, you get shame for even insinuating there might be difficulties working with a child that has obvious particular needs while trying to balance that with the other kids and what the other kids are doing. We have kids who simply cannot handle a high-energy environment, which some of my programs are, and they are thrown in there, and we have to deal with the consequences. And for God's sake, don't mention there was a problem because you've insulted their baby or the fault probably lies with you. Again, this is not the predominant experience, but it has happened. It's chapped my ass for a long time. I always love that saying, chapped my ass. That's like a grandpa saying. A grandpa that like chews tobacco or maybe smokes a pipe or sits in his favorite chair. Chapped my ass. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> Okay, it's chapped my ass for a long time because it's like we're so worried about someone's feelings getting hurt that we are willing to turn a blind eye or straight up ignore the very real struggles they may have and the impact it could have around them. I'm not talking about denying each child's inherent value and the dignity that comes from being a creation of the living God. But the fact is, there are real struggles and needs, hence the term special needs. My, my wish would be that every kid have the extra care and help they need so they can participate with the entirety of the ministry when it's most conducive for them. I 100% agree that the parents in your story set that kid up to fail. And I know many theaters provide resources for parents of special needs kids where they can enjoy the movie in an environment that allows them to. Lowered volume, lights up, etc. The best I can come up with is that at the least, it's just exhaustion from the situation and they are kind of lost as to what to do. And at worst, it's complete selfishness on the part of certain parents. I will give the benefit of the doubt to the parents in your situation and hope that it's the latter, but it's time we at least start speaking honestly and truthfully about how to best serve kids with special needs and not just thrust them into situations where they aren't going to succeed just so a person can feel some semblance of normalcy. We need to care for the families, but if you can't even acknowledge the impact it can have on the people around you and your expectation is for everyone to just deal with it, 
Ultimately, you're hurting yourself and your child. I want to have empathy for parents, but isn't it silly to assume that there will be no impact from your decision? Even now, I feel guilt for even sharing. (laughs) That's my two cents. Anonymous. All right. First of all, don't feel guilty, Anonymous. You're just talking. You're just being honest. We ain't trying to hurt anybody here. That's the point. We are not trying to hurt anybody here. You got a lot of valid points. Uh, I think a legitimate attempt is being made by you to at least allow that maybe there's more going on than appears, okay? For me, that's the first and most easily attained goal in all of this. I mean, I wish I'd have thought about that before last week. (laughs) But that's where I'm at right now. Pause, think, believe. I want to mention quickly also... The theater we were at does offer films uh, for moviegoers with special needs. It's just, what do I do with that information? Okay. Hey, buddy, shouldn't your kid be at the special needs show? Like, come on. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Uh, It's just weird. I I can't go there. It's easier to just, for me, for my part, to just be ready to pause and believe. Believe the best. At least... That's where I'm aiming. Um, I think I think now's a good time, not a great time, to uh, introduce a very good friend of mine. Uh, this is my buddy, Jessica Fife. I think she provides a gentle, kind of awesome perspective here. So please, uh, never was is, I give you Jessica Fife. <laughs> Okay, after technical difficulties that we have overcome because we're that (laughs) awesome, (laughs) we were discussing the uh, podcastrophe sort of rant slash wine festival, as I've said 5,000 times now, uh, when I went to go see Star Wars and ended up sitting next to a child with special needs. And my... My overall opinion was that these parents had done not only a disservice to the rest of the people in the theater, but, but to the child. And, and I thought it was kind of selfish and I, I'm willing to at least see, uh, I don't know. I feel like I might've have read into it a little bit too much, you know, and that after a couple conversations, I, I woke up the next morning and like I said, you and my buddy Chris Foley, who's also going to be on this episode, just popped into my head, and I thought I'd I'd run it by you because I think there's something there. I think there's definitely a discussion to be had there about practicality and about being gentle, you know. And I was just kind of curious what where you were at, what you thought about that, and I'm, just so you know, you are going to speak for all relatives of. Uh, children with special needs. Just so you know, it's like your word is the last and only. So don't oh, no pressure. Don't screw this <laughs> up. <laughs> um, my initial thought was I could relate to both ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I could relate to the parents and having, um, you know. I mean, it was their child and I have a 30 year old autistic brother, Mm -hmm. um, that 
you know, when we take him to the movies, he really has no uh, control over his functions. He's loud and he flails his arms and he loves it. Um, But I know that there's different forms of autism where um, they are so sensitive to anything sensory. So uh, anything loud, um, large crowds, they don't know how to communicate like we do. So they do it Mm -hmm. through flailing arms and rubbing their head. And, but in that sense, I also think that that little boy was probably even more amplified in his actions because of Mm -hmm. his parents. I think that having parents that are reactionary like that and angry, that's, you know, their only way to deal with that is to flail their arms even more and to act up even more. And I think I completely agree. I, I would have, you know, agreed that his son should have been to the left of him, you know, on the other side. It's weird. I, I, I can relate to both, but I do think you and Eric handled it well and you did in, you know, a kind voice. And I mean, I am a huge Star Wars nerd. And I was probably one of the loudest people in the theater. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, I don't, I don't think uh, you handled it bad at all. Um, You know, and this is coming from somebody that, you know, my brother's 30 and he acts like a four-year-old, you know, he communicates Mm -hmm. like a four-year-old. But the interesting thing about autistic, a lot of autistic children is they can hear you they can understand you. They just can't communicate like we can. So you know, um, there's been a few times where me and my parents will talk about my brother in front of him. And I realize he hears us. He understands it. He just, you know, he doesn't have the body language and, um, the communication like we do. So, right. so that little right. boy, I mean, he's probably in sensory overload cause it was loud, you know, and he probably was excited, but he's also dealing with the fact that his parents have kind of isolated him a little bit and how, they react to his handicap, you know, kind of almost making him more handicapped, if that makes sense. Just sort of leaving him on his own or, I mean, I don't know. I I think, I I just think that, you know, they're isolating him more by over amplifying in a way his handicap. You know, I think that the, the moment when Eric went up to him, the father could have been like, yeah, that my son is autistic. This is how he deals with things and it gets loud and, you know, and he could have educated somebody on autism and that could have been a, you know, a very cool moment. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that it, you know, it's an easy task having an autistic child. I mean, my parents are saints to me Mm -hmm. having a 30 year old autistic man, you know? Yeah. I mean, he, he's huge. He's like six, seven inches taller than me and I'm five ten. I mean, the, the dude is huge, but he's like a little kid and you know, and they have to do almost everything for him. They have to cook, they have to bathe him, you know, he's, it'll always have to be in the, when my parents pass, you know, I'll take care of him. Right. So it's not, it's definitely not easy at all. And, um, autism has so many different forms that it just, it bummed me out to hear them be so angry when they could have I don't know, just it could have been handled differently, I think. And I, I think you guys, you know, were aware that this child is handicapped and it wasn't, you know, he was just being himself. He can't. Uh, that's the one thing about autism. You can't really control it. Yeah. You know, you can't, 
they're constantly battling with their brain and their um, and sensory overload, and they can't communicate it in a way where, like, if that child could have said to his dad, "I'm really uncomfortable," can I walk out of the movie? He can't say that, so he does it with flailing arms and rubbing his head, and it's nobody does it perfectly, and it's it is a hard task as a parent, but I. I think it could have been a cool opportunity to, especially when Eric came up to him and to tell them, talk to him about it and maybe introduce his son to Eric and not isolate him so much, if that yeah. makes sense. No, it does. Like he was trying, I mean, this dude is the gentlest guy and and people listening will just have to take my word on that. He even listening back because, you know, the, the episode, I, I pulled it off the show until this one can follow it up just in case anybody's feeling really distressed <laughs> they'll know there's a response coming but i you know he was listening to it before i pulled it back and he's just oh my gosh you know i think he was getting nauseous himself cuz he you know the the fear is that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings mm-hmm. you know or that you're going to be that insensitive asshole you know and i think where i was starting to feel really bad was just assuming that the dad was a dick, you know, maybe like as I've had a couple discussions now with a couple different people who were all very gentle, you know, the, the general consensus is, Hey man, it takes a lot of work to make this happen. A lot of work to get to the movie with the child, you know, and, and, uh, and have this family outing. I think my, my, my dilemma comes when no one else knows that, you know, and that's the part that's just such a hang up for me. It's like, I'm, I, maybe if I'm more considerate and less about my own self, I'm willing to assume that from the get go, you know, but there's also part of me that's thinking, dude, you're what's realistic is what I'm asking. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we were gentle and we weren't mad. I didn't, I never like raised my voice. He never raised his voice. We don't know what we can do. Uh, we don't know what we can yeah. ask. You know, can, can you ask, Hey, could you take that bag uh, away from him? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to ask. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe a situation in which before the movie starts, Hey guys, just want you to know, you know, this is, this is where we're at. And, you know, the, there's also been a, a plenty of people to say, you know, I think maybe your, your best move was to just kind of bail. But that doesn't, that doesn't solve the problem for the kid. I mean, there's still people in there that don't know what's going on, you know, unless the entire, anyone within earshot from him decides, okay, we're going to have to step mm-hmm. out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, where does that stop? I guess. I don't know. I guess. If you can just like, I, what I basically asked was what happens if we leave, you know? So say we leave and we decide to come back at a different time. When does that stop? You know, does everybody within earshot have to quietly get up and leave? I mean, is that, what are your chances of that working out yeah. real well? I'll, I will say this. I mean, coming from experience of, um, you know, cause my, my brother's been in so many programs and um, met other parents of autistic children. And to be honest, that's a rarity, what you guys encountered. Um, I, I haven't really met people where they, 
you know, and I agree with what you said. It was like almost a borderline victim entitlement. Like this is how my child is. But, you know, I, I, I haven't really come in contact with that, to be honest. I have met people that are kind of bitter for their situation, which is unfortunate. But, you know, I, I think that I think it's a rarity to meet people that um, are that angry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you guys got a rare occasion and it happened to be one, like you said, one of the biggest movies coming out. And even I, with a 30 year old autistic um, brother, I would have said something as much as I understand every in and out of it. I, you know, I would have said something as well. So, you know, whether you're educated about it or not, I don't think you were in the wrong. And I think Mm -hmm. only by their reaction, you felt bad. Had they reacted differently it would have been a completely different situation. If he responds to me gently or even just kind of chill, like, Hey man, my son has autism. We are, I'm sorry. You know, we're trying whatever, instead of immediately launching into the ultra defensive mode, Mm -hmm. it's much, then I think the outcome is, is much different. Now that's a lot to ask of him. Maybe he's just wiped out, you know, uh, that's that's something that I was gathering and, and we'll, we'll cover when I'm talking to Chris. It's just like the amount of work that involves getting this child to this movie, you know, or anywhere, frankly, yeah, is it can be exhausting. And heaven help you if if the dad is having a tough day, right? Right. You know, and and and, and where's where's I mean, my consideration for him as well. I think that's what was really sort of turn in the worm <laughs> with me was I, I immediately jumped to how do you have, you know, how do you walk into a situation ready to be offended? And I, 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 I may be kind of overthinking it here because in all honesty, the dude's response was a, was a total bummer, but, yeah. but you know, there is that possibility that he just had a tough day as well, you know? It's just like maybe the perfect storm of shittiness <laughs> just kind of washed over the movie theater, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it was weird. Cause I, I, I could, um, I don't know. I had so many mixed feelings. Like I, I could relate to you and Eric and um, I would have probably said the same thing. Like maybe even asked, you know, would you mind changing seats with your son? You know, um, you know, it, but then at the same time, I, I relate to the parents because, you know, I know what a challenge it's been for my parents. I mean, I, it's my brother's completely changed the dynamic of my entire family. But I yeah. think and like I, I told you this before, I said for the better, to be honest. And but, you know. But at this and then I think about the kid, you know, um, having, you know, what if the dad is constantly angry like that? And the kid can't, like, doesn't know how to express, like, it bums me out that my dad's yelling all the time. So his only way to deal with that is to (laughs) stand up and look in the chair in front of him and just, you know, react physically, you know? And um, so I felt sad for him. And, and, you know, how old was the little boy? Do you think he was? He's probably maybe, maybe nine, 10 years old. Okay. You know, and just you know. I'm just thinking about that too. Like I don't know, to be a weird comparison, but if you know, say your face 
you know, you had some kind of, you know, physical handicap and you're sitting in a movie with your dad and somebody makes a remark about it and your dad just lashes out and just like, um, I don't know. Like, I feel like it would be more embarrassing than if he hadn't reacted that way. If that makes sense. I, I, yeah, no, like, I, I, I see. I think that the, the poor kid, kid maybe just wants it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I read, watched this video. Um, it was about a girl named Carly Fleischman and she was autistic and she didn't speak a word. And she started speaking when she was 14 through a keyboard. And she, they started asking her questions about autistic children. And um, she said, it's like you have a fire going on in you and you're constantly battling with your brain and you can't, um, can't communicate it. So it's like you're, um, you're just in constant input by your senses. So their only way of dealing with that is output and by like flailing their arms. And so if you have a very reactive parent and parents, you know, I think it would, you only amplify that to be honest. You know, my brother, he does not do well in crowds, crowded restaurant. Like my parents already predict he's going to kind of get weird and want to get out of there because it's just, it's too much for him. So you know, on the parents' part, if they're educated enough about autism, they should have known, like, going to a really loud movie with a lot of action, which that movie does, and has very quiet, dramatic dr- bridge scenes. Not spoiling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I felt oh. so bad for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, in the, in the long term things, obviously it's no big deal. I went and saw the movie again very yeah. shortly after, and it was awesome. I loved it. You know, it's just as much value as I want to place in the movie itself, at, at the base of it, I can't. You know, it's still right. just a damn movie. It's yeah. still just, you know, it's still a luxury. Talk about freaking first world problems, you know, I mean. Right. <laughs> And that's the part I think that really hit me once, once it's out there, but you know, I'm I'm typical to me. I can't think about that shit before I say it. I got to say it and then figure out how to react. (laughs) I don't know what that's like at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, see. Ed Wilson writes, way off base I have to say as soon as I saw that title I was afraid <laughs> but Ed's alright hi Mark I recently found your podcast my first one being the scattered few episode I've been looking for something like your podcast for a long time and I'm very glad I found it well I'm glad you found it too Ed listening to Omnipresent however uh, that's the title of the last one you know that already hi I must say you are way off base about the Star Wars debacle. Not to disparage the Twitter psychologist, but narcissistic personality disorder is most definitely not what is happening here. The answer to what was that is simple. Frustration. Hmm. I have worked in the mental health field for 25 years. I have a social worker. I am a social worker by training. Uh, but I'm currently acting as somewhat of a disability advocate in a large public mental health system in Michigan. My wife is a behavioral psychologist and works extensively with kids that have severe autism. I also have a nephew with autism. I know a bit about what I speak. First off, 
You must try to understand what having a child with a disability is like. The parents know their child will never be quote unquote normal. They will probably have to take care of him for the rest of their lives. All their hopes and dreams about their child growing up, having children of his own, and being successful have been altered. Plus, although all children are a handful, children with autism are even more so and can be very draining. But yet, as with all of us, those parents I'm sure still seek some sort of normalcy in their lives. They were probably very much looking forward to to the movie, as were you and your friends. I'm sure the son was very excited too. Kids with autism tend to love space stuff. Mom and dad probably knew he could have problems there, but maybe he really wanted to go, and boy, wouldn't it be nice to go as a normal, quote-unquote, family for once. Believe me, they were just as distracted by their son and knew he was distracting to others as you did. Get back to that. I'm sure they no doubt were feeling bad about it. When you shushed them and asked for some courtesy, however, like all of us do at times, instead of apologizing and admitting it, Mom and dad instead attacked and released all of that pent-up frustration at your, you and your friend. It's kind of like pulling in front of someone, then giving them the finger for getting mad at you. You know you're wrong, but you're pissed that they called you out on it. I'm certainly not excusing their behavior. They should have known he would be way too overstimulated, hell, even I was, and perhaps took him to at a different time with less people. And to be fair, There are a couple of autism parents out there that think their indignation is a form of advocacy and will get in others' faces to force acceptance of their child's disability. Perhaps you and your buddy were the recipients of their quote-unquote advocacy. By and large, people with disabilities are very much maligned, forgotten, and stigmatized in our society. Like me, doing what I do, have a long way to go in demonstrating to the public that people with disabilities aren't scary. And intellectual slash developmental disabilities substance use concerns, and mental illness can happen to any one of us, our loved ones, or friends. This is no more poignant for you personally when thinking of your friend, Mr. Chaffin, of whose interviews on your show I just finished. Keep up the good work. Grace and peace. All right. I hear you, and I respect your authority on the subject. But I have to say, the the situation that I was encountering and the people that I was encountering at that movie theater, their behavior would be mystifying, I think, to anyone. I've mentioned it before. The grasping of the boy's shoulder and, or arm and, and shaking him, the, the strange exchanges between them, for anyone not in the know, not aware of what's going on, this can it, it comes off very disturbing and odd. And again... I don't know if that's the only way they communicate to people, but I, I feel like there, it's not, I I don't want to call the guy a dick. That's, that's again, where my big, I think my big error was, but I do want to call him, uh, out, (laughs) I'm gonna call him out on missing an opportunity like Jessica mentioned to educate us. I mean, we're sitting right there with him. Hey man, let us know, give us a heads up. Anything at all would have been helpful. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, is that too much to ask? I don't know. I really don't know. What What is there? I think for us, just in the situation, in the heat of the moment, the best thing to do would probably have been to leave. Um, but I also think 
you know, to just try to bear with it and to show a little grace would have been ideal. And I feel like we did that to a certain extent. My question comes with what happens later. (laughs) And I can't help but think about that stuff right there at that moment. That's just the way my brain works. Now, I think I've made it pretty clear. And I think lots of, you know, this point has been driven home that there is a lot more challenge going on to the parents of children with autism than, than anyone uh, on my side of this is going to know. And, and when we get to Chris, you're going to really hear that. But I do have to, I do have to stand up and say, I, I don't think, I don't think frustration is the only answer. Okay. And if it is, then some work needs to get done because you're in the society, you're in society, we're around other people and I can be frustrated with my kid, but I can't, I can't shout at him or shout at other people. That's not right. So where do we go? You know, I think the key here again and again and again, going to drive it home is to pause on my own side and say, for my the best way I can serve in this situation is to back off. But of course, I wish I'd have had this happen. I had this discussion before I went to the movie. Okay, one more. Titled, Another Perspective. Hey, Mark, I was listening to the podcast and thought I might be able to provide another look at the situation and maybe explain the function of the behavior of the parents toward you and your friends at the movies. I am currently a director at an agency that supports adults living with developmental and physical disabilities. We provide residential, group homes, home shares, and recreation program supports. Many of the people we support are on autism spectrum or have a pervasive disorder like the one you described with the child at the movies. As an agency, we work alongside professional behavioral consultants to develop positive support behavior and safety plans to help them lead better lives. A big part of creating a behavioral support plan is to find what the function of the behavior is or what are they trying to communicate with that behavior. Simply, behavior is communication. The stemming behavior, rocking, head-scratching noises, you saw in the child was his way of telling his parents or those around him something. Important little insight, all behavior is an attempt to get or avoid something. That something could be to get or to avoid a tangible item, attention, an activity, information. It could be stemming behavior. It could be the stemming behavior may have been telling his parents, I really like all this activity. The stimulation I'm getting by being in the theater with the loud noise, the movie, the smells of popcorn is terrific. Or mom and dad, I hate this activity and I can tell the guy next to me isn't happy either. (laughs) There's a little smiley face in there. Or If I rock like this, my dad will grab my leg and whisper into my ear and I have his attention. So I've been talking about the kid and the possible functions of why he was doing what he was doing. Nobody knows. You asked, why are the parents acting the way they are? Again, we try and determine what was the function of their behavior. The important thing to remember is rarely is a behavior from a person so psychotic that there isn't a function for it. We can't blame behavior on a psychiatric or psychological reason. Psychological problems in people, narcissism, definitely are a slow mood setter, but they are still trying to communicate something to you. If you can understand it, it may help you communicate with that person more effectively. I'm not saying that the boy has narcissism. That's not who I was talking about. What is the function of the parents? 
Maybe the function of the parent's aggressive response was trying to avoid attention. They snap at people. Uh, People tend to leave them alone, avoid attention. They scream, my kid is autistic. People cower in shame and then shower compliments of sympathy on them, get attention. I got to be honest, I work with a lot of people with disabilities, and I work with their families too. Some families are great. Some are nightmares. All have a lot of grief. When you get into the scope of regressive autism, where people seem very typical at age two and three years or old, hitting developmental milestones, then begin to lose skills and abilities and slip into another world, the grief can be even more painful. While these parents may have psychological problems, they are probably stuck in the grief cycle too. You know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Sounds like they are stuck in anger. When people don't know how to to process grief, they sometimes never do, and they get stuck there. I know I have been, and for the record, another smiley face. At my work, we call it caregiver grief. Sometimes, honestly, it's worse than what their child or sibling goes through. Then, while they are stuck in that place, the function of behavior is not usually a pleasant thing. Trust me, I deal with parents and siblings like you sat next to all the time. And you're right. It can be very self-centered. And it sucks. The worst part is when the maladaptive behavior is at the expense of their child. They use their child and their situation to somehow fill up very dark holes in their heart. It is so sad and the brokenness of sin is on display in Technicolor. So, We pray for God's grace and hope to arrive in their lives in some real way, in Christ. Sorry for the long email. I'm not trying to have all the answers. Just give my two cents. Keep it up, Mark. So glad to listen to you. And go Raiders. (laughs) Straight to my heart. That was Jason Hewlett. Jason and Ed both, I think, uh, well, first of all, thank you guys for writing. I think that was an awesome lead up here. Because we're going to talk to a parent. And uh, while he won't tell you that he has all the answers, he's got a lot of them. And I think his perspective weighs pretty heavily with me. You know, I don't want to make excuses, but I also want to be reasonable. And I'm trying to find that place in the middle. I think it starts with love. Let's see what... uh, Let's see what Christopher Foley has to say. Like the night that I posted that thing up, uh, I was mostly, I'm so focused on this solo show and is it going to (laughs) suck? You know, and uh, is it going to, like how much of an actual podcastrophy are we talking about here? (laughs) I, I put it out and I was, I was stoked, you know, on the quality and stuff. And I know everything that went down. I was there. I know um, what I saw in particular, not with the, with the little boy, but with the dad, you know, and the mom and all that to say, I never gave it a second thought after that, you know? Yeah. And, and so I put the show out and then that night, um, my buddy, Alex uh, Roschetti sent me this, a link to a uh, to an article about a Broadway show of The King and I. There's this story about how it's like a three-hour-long show, and in the last 15 minutes, one of the people in the theater had brought their autistic child there, and you know everything was cool and smooth as silk until that last 15 minutes, and the child had a really bad episode, like 
shouting and the mom tried to remove the child from, from the theater. And it was like heavy, like screaming, a heavy situation. The child was screaming and, and I think it's a, she, she was grabbing onto the railing mm-hmm. and kicking it like, and it's, you know, and it's a bunch of, of uh, theater goers wearing tuxedos, you know? <laughs> and uh, the person who wrote this is like an open letter to the theater community. And he was essentially saying, you know, I'm watching this all go down because he's an understudy. He wasn't actually on the stage at the time. I'm watching this happen. And all I can think is, you know, can't you, you guys see she's trying, you know, mm-hmm. because people were booing and they were like, you know, causing a pretty bad scene. And, and I mean, as I'm reading it, I was getting bummed out, <laughs> but, um, this gentleman was basically, we need to show some compassion. She is trying her best. And I, and I went to bed thinking, yeah, she was trying her best. You know, I wish those guys would have. Right. And I know this is very difficult for you to hear. Chris, so bear with me. <laughs> That's fine. In the, in the morning I wake up. And I'm not kidding, dude. The second I woke up, my eyes opened and I thought of you and Jessica Fife, who is also going to be on this episode. And I just thought, you know, I know these these people enough to know that I respect their opinions. I care about what you both think of me, you know? So if someone someone perceives that I am, am being insensitive it's one thing, but if somebody who I have gotten to know perceives them being insensitive, then I, I want to take notice of it and, and see what can be learned. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was my thinking in, in giving you guys a call. And you know, just fair fair warning, Jessica doesn't see things the same way as you do. And for some perspective, she has her brother. I think I might have mentioned to you her brother is autistic. He's he's just an adult now. He's thirty years old, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a very large man. He's like six, three or something like that. Um, and, but he's, he has like fourth, four year old functionality, I think is where he's at in the mm-hmm. spectrum of autism. That's, that's a word I learned from you, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, she, she wasn't, she wasn't saying anything necessarily. She's such a, a sweet person. She's not coming at me, but, uh, you know, she felt for that boy and, and for the situation he was in at, at the film. And I, until you and I talk and until you, I, I get to hear you out and stuff, I mean, I, I've sort of made a decision in my head and my heart as to where I'm at with this whole thing. And it is does it definitely represents a slight change. Um, but I just wanted to hear from you and learn what I could learn from you. And hopefully the people listening to this um, could learn as well. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Is that, does that make yeah. any, so lay it on me, man. Both <laughs> barrels. <laughs> well, I certainly, you know, when you first told me about that experience and then I later went back and listened to the, the podcast, I mean, I certainly sympathize with you, your friends, everybody in that theater. Cause I know what that, I know what that's like, you know, I yes. know for, for the listeners, let them know, like, you know, they don't know the background of, right. of your family. Yeah. I have, uh, I have four, four sons. Uh, my oldest Evan, who's 17 is, uh, severely autistic. He's on the spectrum, uh, nonverbal, 
Uh, he's probably developmentally, I don't know, maybe in some ways kind of a three or four mm-hmm. year old. I mean, in terms of, you know, he, had, he doesn't have speech. He has some word approximations, some sign language, um, you know, so we're not able to just communicate with him. It's It's been very hard for us over the years to, you know, to go see a movie, you know, for right, instance. Right. Um, you know, but we've we've always been very sensitive about other people when we've gone other places. Um, and, you know, I think having a child with special needs, it's, it's a cross. It's definitely a, a cross to bear. Um, it's something that we've you know, wrestled through for years. Um, but understanding that, for instance, when we go see a movie, part of the cross to bear there is one of us might have to leave with him and not be able to finish the movie, um, you know, because of similar situations. So, you know, my wife and I have always tried to be sensitive to, you know, people that were around, um, you know, so if Evan is ever, you know, being too loud or verbal or, you know, occasionally having a meltdown that we have a, an exit plan. <laughs> right, uh, right. So like when we go over to people's house, houses, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes we'll take two cars uh, just in case one of us has to have a quick exit with him. Um, you know, so when I first heard the story, I certainly sympathize with you all you all paid money to see this movie and you've been waiting for it for a long time and you know i would have i would have been frustrated as well um you know so the flip side of that though is certainly you know being a father of an autistic child i mean you know it's so so hard yeah it is so difficult and there are days where you just want to rip your hair out and just yell, why me, Lord? And sit in a corner somewhere, suck, sucking your thumb, rocking back and forth, <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's hard. I mean, you, you yeah. can make all of these plans for something that you want to do. And then, you know, he might have a meltdown or he might, you know, just be frustrated and he has no way to communicate that. Uh and so having to just completely change your plans at the last minute. So when you first told me the story, um, you know, I immediately just felt, um, you know, the, the stress probably that that family was under. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, obviously didn't meet the guy and the father. Um, but, you know, it might have taken them weeks to get to the point where they were sitting in that theater that night. Right. Um, and so, you know, maybe they had had this awful day and they'd finally gotten there. Finally, were able to see this movie. Um, and then, you know, just right. lose it when somebody just suggests something very normal and yeah. Um, you know, so that's where I, I think I was coming from when I first heard it. I, I just was very sympathetic to them and their family, you know, probably have a whole nother discussion about was his response to you <laughs> appropriate or not. I mean, I, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, <laughs> don't let me off the hook here. Cause the thing that you said that I thought was 
like that cut me to the quick, man, was A, you know, if you didn't know me, it would appear that this person has me being this person that I have no uh, sympathy or compassion for the parents of an autistic child, you know, Mm -hmm. but, and also that it was a little whiny. (laughs) I think I did use that term. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Which is great. I mean, that's great, man. You know, I mean, because when you when I'm sitting there and I back off of it, even as you're just now talking, like as you just now said that, trying to weigh what this parent has potentially gone through just to get to the theater. That was the thing that you were you 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 made a point of the other day. It's just like how much work it takes to get there, and how oftentimes it's not just the inability to get a sitter. But to get a sitter that you trust to stay with your child who has oh, these so. particular needs, right? But, you know, all that stuff. And then, like, well, I didn't get to see my movie. Lightsabers, lightsabers. You know what I mean? It's, like, <laughs> it's pretty hard to sit there and and defend my position. You know, um, if, if my only position is, well, I didn't get to see my movie, you know. I, I think what gets lost in this and partially because I'm just not a great communicator, uh, try as I am a, is it was, it was definitely more than that. You know, mm-hmm. I felt really bad for my friend who even listening to the episode back, like he said he was getting nauseous and, you know, <laughs> uh, but I think really, really the part that, that uh, there was just so much that went on with this, with this dad, between this dad and this boy that was weird yeah, some of that did sound a little bit. Yeah, the grasping of the arm and the shake, like the shaking and all this. I was like, man, I. But like I said on the show, I don't know if that's just how they communicate. Like I don't, I am ignorant of their entire situation, yeah. and and really, that's what I got from our talk. You know, quit being such a little bitch, Mark, <laughs> and. <laughs> You know, seriously though, like you whiny little brat, it's just a freaking movie. You know, now, the flip side of that is, and this is what, what, you know, in talking to other people, cause I'm sitting there like trying to source this thing out in my head. Other people are like, well, you know, where does that stop? Where does that, you know, so does everybody get up or whatever? The reason why I wanted you to come on the show about this is that this is like a conversation that you never get to have with somebody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, if we're having, if you and I are having this conversation, it's because I don't know you and you were sitting next to me at a movie theater with your son and Mm -hmm. I was not understanding of your situation. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that, and the context of that makes things ramped way up and really intense. I'm, I'm feeling this, uh, what's the word? It's like this pressure where, especially in this, in the society we're in right now, like, the second someone perceives you as being insensitive, that's just what you are forever. You know, that's, you get that, I get that feeling. The emails come rolling in, the Twitter messages come rolling in. I don't know, man. Like, I don't think, look, I told you I was going to get to where, where I was at. This is what I think. I think our reaction in the theater, I think was appropriate. And I think we, we did our best, you know, especially considering that we didn't know anything going into it. Where the real error on my part is, is calling the guy a dick on my show. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the part that I think 
is over the line because it's an assumption, a presumption of, of on my part that's not mm-hmm. accurate or it's it's incomplete at least. You know, yeah. Yeah. would you say that that's an accurate assessment of this, or do you still yeah. think I'm a whiny bitch? <laughs> <laughs> well. I mean, like I said, I, I just, I empathize with, with that family. I mean, certainly I don't want to project my experience onto them. Um, right. But, you know, I feel like the important thing and, you know, for me to tell your, your audience of just being aware of the plight and the incredible difficulty um, of having a family with a job with special needs. I mean, yeah. it's unless you experience that yourself, you just, of course, wouldn't know, Yeah, you know, how difficult that can be. Um, and like, I think I told you the other day, I mean, even, you know, me as a, as a priest in, in my parish, I mean, we can't just have this normal life where we just go over to somebody's house with the family yeah, and just the parents have an adult conversation. The kids go play like, that never happens for us. One of us always has to be on the whole time, shadowing our son around, making sure he's not getting into things. He loves lights. He loves doors. He loves ceiling fans. Um, It's not relaxing for at least one of us, or we're constantly having to take turns. And by the time we, we leave, we're just completely exhausted. And, you know, it's just, that's hard. What most people would just take for granted and so, you know, the thought of being able to take your son to go see Star Wars, um, you know, would be so exciting to be able to somehow include him and then to be able to get there. And, um, you know, so I, I, I empathize with him. And then that's why I think when we talked, I just, you know, I don't want to say I sided with, with the dad because, I, you know, I don't think he, he handled himself no, appropriately. No. I mean, there, there's no excuse for, I think, the way he handled it. But Well, what did you, you say that when we talked, though, which to me was really the, the, the heart and soul of it all, is like, where is the gospel in this? Yeah. Where's the opportunity for the gospel in this, in this situation? That, yeah. that kind of changed the whole game for me. Well, yeah, what does love look like there? What does empathy look like? What does it mean to kind of bear one another's burdens and yeah. so fulfill the law of Christ? I mean, what does that look like? You know, I think if if anything, we all need to have greater empathy for yeah. one another. You you for them, you know, I think them them for everyone else there as well. But uh, you know, I know that on the podcast, you linked it or attempted to link it to this problem <laughs> right. in our culture of yeah. people being so easily offended all the time. And, um, yeah. and, and I think that's a conversation that definitely needs to, to happen to, to, we need to have that conversation, but I don't know if this guy was, that was an example of that. Sure. Um, I think was the point I made. And, uh, and I think, you know, having a a strong reaction against it. I mean, you can make a case that you know, your that reaction <laughs> w- w- was similar to the very thing that you're being critical of. Damn it, um, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> 
whiny bitch. Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, oh. I've been I've been on both sides of that. I mean, in terms of um, you know, I've been so self conscious. We've been in places, and um, my son's making loud noises, and it's like, oh gosh, you know, I bet everybody hears, you know, thinking, who is this family, and you know, feeling like, oh, we just need to leave, or you know, it's. I've been in that situation of not knowing. Okay, is he being too loud now? Do we need to make right. an exit or not? And oh, okay, he stopped making noises. Maybe we're good. And then it happens again. Um, but we've also been in situations where we definitely have left a situation because we just knew that it was it was being distracting. I mean, for er- for everyone. Um, I got a couple people saying, you know, you should have just got up and left. My initial response is I wasn't by myself, but you know. We all three could have got up and left, I guess. But I still, just, I don't know. There's something incomplete there. There's something that's missing there, you know? And it's yeah. a hard thing to talk about, a hard thing to figure out. Like, Well, and I think in that situation, I mean, the best way to have those conversations is with people that you have relationships with. Yeah. You know, here's a stranger in a movie theater, you know, who obviously that conversation wasn't going to happen then and there. Yeah. You know, so I think in those situations, you do have to just make that decision about, okay, well, what does love look like here? What do, you know, do I Mm -hmm. just sit here and put up with it? Do I, I mean, I think the way you guys handled it, I think, you know, you guys were fine. I think you were trying to at least acknowledge that something was going on. Yeah. Yeah. After the fact, might want to reel it in a little bit. Yeah. Well, but I think you guys tried to talk to him, didn't you, out in the No, I'm talking mostly lobby? about I'm talking mostly about the show. Like you oh, know okay. And 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 I think that's really where it's at, you know. But what's the point of doing these kinds of shows or having these kinds of conversations mm-hmm. if you're not willing to at least hear somebody else out? Just because I have yeah. the mic doesn't mean I get to be right all the time. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think when we talked the other day, I mentioned, you know, some of our like the desert fathers, you know, these Christian monks who lived out in the desert that, you know, wrote in the fourth century about, you know, the spiritual life, uh, you know, they, they would say things like, you know, if you're bothered by something or, you know, there's a disturbance in your soul about something, it's an opportunity at that mm. point. It's an opportunity to learn something more about yourself. Well, why is it that I'm so bothered by this? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not even about them. Maybe it's really just about me. And here's an opportunity for me to learn something more about myself. Or maybe this bothers me so much because really I'm the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so yeah. it's so much easier to see it the fault in somebody else and then just, you know, project it all onto them. You know, I mean, so some of these Desert fathers would say, well, now here's an opportunity to be self-reflective. You know yeah. what? You know, you're just bothered by this because <laughs> you're the same way. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> Interesting. And that's where kind of the rubber hits the road. That, hey, man, I'm not afraid of that. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that. Especially if it means that I can, you know, I, I'm so nervous about 
bumming out. Like my wife, if we go to the movies or go somewhere, my, my, I'm always afraid that my wife is like, oh boy, here he goes. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, sit down. <laughs> If you put yourself in our shoes and you run through the various scenarios, what if I said this or that, you'll find the same potential outcomes that my buddies and I envisioned. And yes, we did what we could at the time. For that, I don't apologize. Calling the dad a dick on my show later, while possibly accurate, I just can't imagine Jesus doing the same thing in any way. And for that, I do apologize. But just because I don't think that's what love looks like here. And as unsatisfying as that is to my pride, I know it's the right way to see this whole thing. You know, after we had these conversations, <laughs> I was working to put these thoughts together and my wife and I went to a meeting. It was for family stuff, like making a family kind of stuff. Lots of people are there on a Monday night trying to get some answers and assuage our fears. Um, in a mandatory hour and a half long se seminar. And it's full of folks hoping to make families of their own, right? So we're in this large auditorium, lots of open seats. Fifi and I go to the back of the room and sit kind of off to the side uh, where we think we'll be safe, you know, <laughs> safe from my magnet. And uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, who sits behind us? Well, the only only couple in a room full of couples trying to make families. They're the only couple that actually has a child with them. <laughs> That's fine. It's just not just any child, a sick child. Coughing, sneezing, making kid with the cold noises, wet noises, you know. <laughs> the kind of noises that mean it's going to be hard to have a sitter. You know, I'm there. Occasionally, uh, the slight Damp breeze of a cough lands on my, on the back of my bald head. <laughs> I just turned to my wife and started laughing. I mean, how can this be accidental? I refuse to believe this is accidental. You want proof of a God? I don't know if this counts, but I submit this situation right here as evidence. <laughs> That's the humor of a God, I think. And because I can't stop thinking about these two episodes while I'm sitting there, every possible scenario going through my head as to how this, how this wrong can be righted, it, it met the same brick wall, you know? I don't know the whole story. And then, what does love look like here? So, we just sit there and, sat there and took it. <laughs> so listen, I'd be leaving something crucial out of this if I didn't say this. It really causes me great stress and anxiety to think that someone perceives me as lacking compassion, empathy, or kindness, okay? It like, it hurts me to the core. I had to take that episode off for a week because I physically had to do it. Much like Eric, the thought of this whole thing made me sick to my stomach. To the measure of which I can know, I know what God has changed in my life, okay? I know I don't know the whole picture and that he is much larger than I. But I just can't turn my back on that and, and consciously hurt people. And knowing that someone might misconstrue what I said as, a, as unkind just kills me. Also, knowing that uh, the second a story like this 
comes up, you know, the second something like this is raised, people have their own experience and sometimes they might compare or connect the experiences leading to all sorts of unintended conclusions. Plus, I know there are still people uh, who won't even talk about this, you know, unless they can nail the insensitive sign above my name and that, and that brings rage into the picture, of course, you know. All of a sudden, heartbreak and rage are fighting for center stage in my head. When that happens, I have to do something. So I did this. Look, at some point, all these declarations of loving them all and letting God sort them out, they have to produce love, love and action. If all that is required of me is to patiently endure someone else's whatever, if all that is required of me is to go out of my way to show empathy or compassion or patience, even when it doesn't seem fair, that's me getting off pretty easy in the whole love and action thing, you know? Graciousness, gentleness, empathy, they look good on everyone. For guys like me who just can't get out of, out of our own way sometimes, Simple, clear instructions like those are worth keeping in mind. Graciousness, gentleness, and empathy look good on everyone. Try as I may, I can't find a way to imagine Jesus Christ getting pissed off at someone because they detracted from a movie experience. So I'm trying. I'm putting my love into action, okay? I promise to do my best. Thanks for listening. And uh, because I think they have better things to say than me. Uh, I asked Chris and Jessica to say a couple words, sort of final thoughts, if you will. So here they are. I was just thinking um, also, you know, and this is just for life, you know, you meet these people that don't, possibly have God in their heart, you know, and, Mm. and God has given us this capacity over time when he changes our heart and how, um, our levels of compassion and how we react to things, you know, and a lot of times I I do is I come in contact with these people that are just angry and, um, I expect them to react the way I would, but it's like, I also have God in my heart and he's given me this capacity to forgive and to be compassionate beyond my means of being human, you know? Hmm. And, you know, I'm not like that all the time. I just think they're a-holes, you know, most of the time. But the more I started thinking about your story, it's just like, you know, I expect these parents to be this way with this autistic child, but they also, you know, it's they're they have a shortcoming because they don't have this abundance of love that, you know, God can give us, you know, and changing, you know, even just hearing (laughs) how you reacted in this theater with this um, situation. And I know Mark Solomon from 19 years ago, like pretty much it's God's (laughs) done a lot, even with you. And like you even said, it was a growth moment for you. So (laughs) that's cool to see, you know, but that doesn't happen a lot of times for people that, you know, God, can't do that or they're not open to that or don't have God in their heart, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. There were so many thoughts. There's so many thoughts about your story, (laughs) but my overall one is like, there's not a lot of parents like that. I I think there's been a lot of humble, 
sweet parents that have autistic children. It's because they're most of their children are sweet. And it's, it's been very rare that I meet people like that. Well, where were you, Jess? You should have been there to help me out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. And you guys listening have no idea how many different times this conversation through the editing magic that will go down, you don't know how much was in the way of this. I, I, I choose to believe that that's the devil. So there you go. Yeah. You know, my son, Evan, I mean, he's, he's taught me so much about, about life. Um, you know, I think when the gospel says, when Christ says, you know, that unless we become like these little children, mm-hmm. you know, when I think of, of Evan and his you know, his inability to uh, kind of perceive uh, and interpret the world around him is to the degree that he's unaffected by it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're so affected by kind of the brokenness and the darkness all around us. He's not. His eyes are clear. He has this joy, um, you know, this wonder. And I just, I look in his eyes and I, and I just think, man, if I can become like my son, Evan, Maybe I'll have a fighting chance. Hmm. Um, you know, that I think a lot of kids like this, I, I mean, I, you know, a lot of adults too with with special needs. I mean, they have so much to teach us about what's really important in this life. And I think they're the ones who are kind of further along into the kingdom uh, than we are. And so having a son with special needs, I mean, I've, I, I know that now firsthand, whereas before it was like, oh, okay, I could understand that in theory, um, but I was never close to anybody like that. Um, and so having a, having a son with severe autism, mm. I mean, it's just taught me so much about what's really important. Um, and so, you know, I, I would just say that to your listeners, just as, as your listeners interact with people with special needs to really not miss out on that opportunity mm-hmm. to, I don't know, somehow participate in the kingdom <laughs> here and now somehow. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's probably the only way to say it. This show was produced by Billy Power of Urban Achiever Studios. You can also connect to all things Urban Achiever by the usual means. Twitter, Facebook, etc. Billy's podcast, Urban Achiever, can be found on iTunes. Find them on there as well. Uh, Any music you heard today was from any one of my bands. Probably Neon Horse, uh, most likely. And some White Lighter, I don't know. Staves Acre, The Crucified, Outer Circle. If they weren't on this show, they'll be on one of the other. Uh, I'm sure they'll all be represented at some point. You can write me about this show or any previous show or any old thing you want to at the Twilight Zone at INeverWas.com. That's the Twilight Zone at INeverWas.com. No Z's. Please do it. If you'd like to contribute to the show, please visit our Patreon page and drop a buck or two in the tip jar. That would be super awesome. While there are links in the show notes, uh, I want you to know the Lear schools that Chris mentioned, 
Uh, you can find that at larshusa.com. That's L-A-R-C-H-E-U-S-A.com. Definitely worth discovering. Also, Carly Fleischman, whom uh, Jessica spoke about. Her webpage, carlysvoice.com. You can go there and learn all about her. That's a, that's a mind blower. It's a mind blower. Okay. C-A-R-L-Y-S-V-O-I-C-E.com. Also, there's a link to the theater article I mentioned earlier on the show page. Um, or you can just Google Theater Autism King, and I'm sure you'll find any number of links to the letter written by Kevin Moon Lowe, L-O-H, L-O-H, sorry. And lastly, you should know this by now, but the quote you heard earlier was from the movie Quick Change. It's my favorite Bill Murray movie ever. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for writing and participating. Be good. Hi, Mark. Um, Sally here, Colin from Germany. Um, So I have a story that connects with your story. Um, As you know, I grew up in Michigan, but on the very southwestern corner, right on the border of Indiana. And if you didn't know already, when you're in Michigan and you drive over the border into Indiana, it all of a sudden becomes southern. Like people have southern accents and things get a little hillbilly. Um, I'm allowed to say that because I'm actually part hillbilly. Anyway, my dad's a mechanic and he owned a shop and one of his mechanics um, invited my family to see the passion play that he was going to be involved in at his church in Indiana. So my mom talked us into going and I talked my friend Laura into going and we sat um, in the back of this small little building with low ceilings um, and we were in for a treat. Uh Jesus was played by a bearded man, of course, um, but he was a little dramatic and arrogant, I would say. Um, he usually gave his lines with, with much, uh, you know, force, like, uh, follow me and um, get behind me, Satan, and things like that. Um, and uh, Peter was played by a a sweet, uh, sweet old Southern man. And he just told Jesus, you know, he said, um, I won't betray you, Jesus. And, um, it was, it was great. So Laura and I are in the back, um, really trying not to laugh, which of course we did snicker. There was probably a little bit of audible noises coming from us. It was hard, you know, at some point the lights went out, black lights came on and Carmen started playing and God and Satan started battling it out with like lightsabers and it got really intense. And, um, but then my favorite part was, uh, Jesus dies and he raises from the dead and then he ascends to heaven. And the way they did this is like low ceilings. It has one, has one of those like ceiling that you can like push up and like a square comes up and you push it over, you know? Um, so there's kind of a crawl space and all of a sudden Jesus like kind of gets lifted up there somehow and (laughs) crawls up into that crawl space. And you see kind of his feet kind of like lifting up over into the crawl space. It was so great. 
Um, <laughs> so all this time, Laura and I are sitting back there and there's like a middle-aged couple sitting right in front of us. And as I said, we were probably, you know, they might've heard us snickering a little bit. We'd really tried hard. And, uh, at the end of the service, um, the man sits up and all of a sudden he's like, there's gum on my shirt. And, uh, and he starts getting upset and he's like, who put gum on my shirt? There is gum on my shirt. And, uh, he turns around and he looks at us. And he's like, you girls were laughing. You put gum on my shirt. And we were like, uh, no, sorry, sir. We didn't do that. He's like, you put gum on my shirt. And he's like, what's your name? And I was like, uh, Sally Grayson. And he's like, Sally Gracie, I'm going to call the police. And so, <laughs> so Laura and I hightailed out of there and, uh, boy, but I just wish I could have heard that phone call, you know, like Mr. Officer, I was at church and this girl put gum on my shirt. Um, but I didn't get to hear that. <laughs> anyway, just all that to say, um, maybe that man had, a. Uh, what did you call it? Um, manipulative, uh, what was it again? Narcissistic personality disorder. Um, maybe, maybe he wanted to play the victim of somebody putting gum on the shirt. Um, just like your movie gore friend. Maybe not. Either way, um, relating to your story, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, um, you know, I don't know if it was right or not for them to bring their son to the to the movie theater, maybe not on a really busy night, but um, I can imagine that the parents are probably exactly like you described, like just really long to have a normal, quote unquote, normal family situation where they can bring their kids to the, to the movies and have a good time. Um, probably there's a lot of frustration. I mean, just even parenthood in general, there's times I'd totally snap and, uh, you know, get frustrated with my kids or whatever. And and with the general public, <laughs> I know those feelings. Um, maybe he had a narcissistic personality disorder, possibly. If he did, the poor child, children, because um, those people are very dangerous and uh, their plates are very, very shattered. Um, anyway, yeah. So I would say grace for the, f- the parents grace for the kids and grace for yourself. Thank God you got your money back, huh? Anyway, hope you have a second uh, better experience at your Star Wars movie going. And um, thanks for your great show. Talk to you later. Bye.